0: I'm Brandon Odo, and I'm Brian Bowling, and this is Critical Care Scenarios, the podcast where we use clinical cases, narrative storytelling, and expert guests to unpack how critical care is practiced in the real world. All right, everyone, welcome back. Uh, It is Brandon here, back with Brian. Hey, everybody. And we have a little lightning rounds, and what we wanted to chat about today is Point-of-care ultrasound, something that the majority of us are doing pretty widely now in critical care, and you know it's starting to get a lot of traction in other fields as well. But that has started to raise a lot of questions, I think, in many centers around issues like not how it's performed clinically, which I think is where we've all focused our attention, but the other issues that surround its use. The infrastructure, the training, things like that, which are kind of part and parcel about integrating a new practice into uh, modern clinical medicine, at least in this country. I don't know. If you're practicing in a tent somewhere, maybe not so much of this. But these are kind of the grown-up issues that have to be tackled. And a lot of centers have not done a whole lot of work formalizing these things. And I think they're all starting to realize that it, it creates challenges. So some places have done very well with it. And to get kind of a perspective on that, we thought we'd chat with our friend Leon Chen, Who's a um, acute care nurse practitioner down at Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York? Uh, he works in the ICU there. Uh, he's an associate professor at um, the Columbia School of Nursing as well. And uh, what's your other title down there? You're the uh, just a
1: clinical associate professor.
0: Right, yeah, but, uh, yeah. manager of. Simulation or something like that? Oh, so
1: yeah, no, that's a, that's a Sloan Kettering. Uh, I'm a clinical, manor, a clinical program manager of uh, research and simulated learning. So, right. it's, a, it's, a, it's a mouthful.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I mean, Leon is the perfect person to talk to us about, uh, to, to, yeah, whatever, um, to chat with, because <laughs> he did a lot of work on these exact topics uh, at Sloan Kettering, basically building from the ground up a, a program for integrating POCUS into the ICU there. Um, and also he and I have been working on a, a project recently uh, developing some uh, guidelines and consensus around a lot of these same things. So it's, it's been on all of our minds, and he just wrote a paper describing their program there, which is about to hit press, and uh, we'll link it in the, the show notes here. Um, so I thought we'd just get a look at kind of what they did down there and if we can all learn something from it. If you're finding that your center has not done not just these exact things, but anything to achieve the same ends, then there's probably a good chance that you're going to have to at some point or that you would benefit um, if you made some efforts. Um, so yeah, welcome, Leon.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was good seeing you, good seeing you both of you again. And uh, since, uh, what, January that we all met in person? So yeah, it, it's,
0: at it's um, at SCCM. Time flies. Well, yeah. listen, I, um, I, I thought we'd just kind of dig through what you guys did there. Because if I remember right, when you guys started to integrate ultrasound into the ICU, it was kind of not really being done. Or I don't know, maybe people were doing it a little bit informally, right? And now you have a kind of a full-fledged program for it. So I thought we'd just look at the different aspects of that. Um, what are What is happening with training for you? So if you have a new hire... Who you want to bring up to speed performing ultrasound, or if you need to, like, you know, grandfather in, or you know, bring a previously hired uh, staff member up to speed? What what's the process that you guys have put in place?
1: Yeah, that's a um, you know obviously evolved a lot since when we first started, but right now our system is fairly standardized, and what happens is. Uh, if you're a new hire, we don't actually give you any formal ultrasound training uh, until you're about a year in, because we found that you know when we first started training people, and then if they're only a few months in, uh, they're becoming a new MP or UPA, putting ultrasound program this year long program on them in addition to everything else they have to learn, it's it's a lot. And a lot of people found that to be completely overwhelming, and then um, their clinical aspect of their work uh, kind of get kind of taken a a step back
2: because they have to do
1: all exactly they have to kind of just dive into all these required readings modules uh the video portfolio they have to complete for focus so so we we decided a one year seems to be a good point where they are sort of comfortable they know how to use the computer they know how to put in orders and then they know how to you know uh, look up everything and uh not be too focused on not making a mistake at that point. They're a little bit more confident as clinicians. You're so, talking so about then,
0: a new APP hired to the yeah, ICU.
1: Yeah, this um, is a, a brand new APP. So they should not um, be
0: doing any ultrasound their
1: first year. Right, right. So they don't go into our formal training program. Now, this is for POCUS for uh, diagnostic reasons, uh, not the procedural. They, they, sure. they will have to use POCUS for you know lines, placement, that's a little bit sooner. That that would be as soon as they're uh, into our system, uh, get into our system.
0: Will people do it like informally, you know, with one of the intensivists, something like that? Or is it like you just don't want them touching a machine other than for procedures?
1: No, we, we, don't, we don't put a like a, uh, a big stop sign in front of them. Uh, I'm sure that, you know, especially the we have some uh, APPs, especially MPs with previous experience in the ER as ER nurses or ICU nurses who, you know, obviously seen this. And some of them, the nurses, uh, uh, as nurses, they've used ultrasound to put in like peripheral uh, IVs, and things like that. So they know the, the knobs, they know the machine, they're familiar with it, they're not scared of it. Right. So, so, so they, they will take a uh, machine and, and kind of do stuff with it. Uh, as long as they have adequate supervision from intensivist or somebody who is experienced in uh, POCUS, uh, we're not uh, really against it, you know, but they nothing they do will go into the patient's chart uh, and they don't do anything fancy with it at all. They uh, mostly just limited to line placement with adequate supervision. Okay.
0: And then what happens at a year? What do they do?
1: So after a year, they start this formal process. So uh, our process, um, it takes roughly nine months to a year, and then it's essentially what uh, CHESS does with their certificate of uh, completion. It's what SCCM recommends for ultrasound training. So they go through a uh, about three-month period, 17 hours of uh, video modules learning the basics of the physics, uh, the fundamental of ultrasound, uh, basic images, what they look like. Is that a program then, uh, you
0: guys put together? Or-
1: or... no no we the, if you look at it uh it's it's quite uh extensive so it, it, we thought about doing it ourselves because obviously we, we have to pay a third-party vendor for these modules uh and they could get expensive once you have uh like 10 12 trainees at once but um we just the quality of work the, the animation uh it was just way too much for us you know, so what's it really the take platform you to, guys use uh it's it's called a cae uh, and CHESS uses it. Uh, I think the Canadian uh, Society of Critical Care uses it. They, they, uh, it used to be, interesting fact, uh, it doesn't stand for anything. I try to look it up for our paper. What does CAE stand for? It doesn't actually stand for anything. It's just CAE. And uh, it used to be an aviation company. They, they make flight simulators for airplanes. Yeah. So, so now they, they venture into um, healthcare uh, education uh, platforms so so as you can imagine their ultrasound animations the 3d rendering of organs and then the, the various cuts you know especially for cardiac it's it we there's no way we could duplicate that. That quality is it so, a
0: it's primarily it's like for critical care or is it like a general mm-hmm. okay
1: no it's uh, it's specifically for critical care and then they have uh um They have focused ones for like plural procedures. If you're, you know, pulmonology or uh, pulmonary uh, teams that 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 will utilize that, and then they have um, they have more advanced echo um, modules as well. But for us, it's just a general critical care module uh, encompassing physics, vascular, uh, abdomen, uh, cardiac, and um, uh, vascular.
0: Okay, so you ask people to do that stuff like on their own time.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we give them a uh, deadline. They have to finish it with every single module, every single topic. They have to take a pre- and post-quiz. Uh, that's part of the module. And then they have to uh, get a passing grade before they can move on to the next. So, so they have to finish the, all of the fundamental learning before they move on to the next stage. And the next stage are these um, asynchronous lectures that me and a couple of other faculty members put together. And then we talk about a little bit more in-depth, uh, the cardiac, more clinical uses of uh, ultrasound for these Various organ and for various pathologies, um, and then after that we go through a live. Um, it could be over Zoom, but essentially I go through these uh, images that we have of various pathologies, and I guide them through uh, interpreting these images. And then it's 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 pretty amazing. The just from the beginning of the class to the end of the class, you can see, you know, people even though they went through like a lot of module learning, they look at these images. They kind of don't know what to do with it because they're not perfect images. They're actual from actual mm-hmm. patients. So then they have to look at it and say, "Oh, that's the left ventricle," and "Oh, that's what the actual, you know, uh, calcified valve looks like." That's what this looked like, and then we kind of go through uh, these images for various systems, and then. Uh, after that, we finish that course. Then they go on to collecting images on their own. So they have to collect uh, 105 images of various organ systems on our patients. And they have about four months to complete that. Like 105
0: total, and like from like <clears throat> different categories, like yeah, many. Yeah,
1: okay. Exactly, it's like 50 cardiac, uh, you know, 30 uh, pulmonary uh, lung images, and then at the end they take a uh, they take two tests, a 40 question knowledge based test uh, that we actually got to be on the computer system so they can actually see images for some questions and then it's all about clinical integration you actually get a clinical vignette, like this patient came in for this a shorter breath now you did a lung ultrasound this is the one you saw and we show them the actual images and what would you do next right so there's that and then there are, of course you know uh, ultrasound focus being such a hands-on uh, tool they actually have to go through a test super um watched by a a, uh, faculty member, and then they have to get various views and tell me what they're looking at, what different organ systems, what structures are, and and then they get graded on that.
0: So do you usually have multiple people going through this process simultaneously, or is it like you hire a person and then they go through everything and you're like doing classes for one person and that kind of thing?
1: We try to cohort them because, as you can imagine, we try to get everybody on the same timeline. Uh, it took a while, uh, but right now we actually got to a, a good uh, place where we have about two cohorts going on, uh, sim- uh, not simultaneously, consecutively. So one per uh, one group will start, let's say, in January. The other group will start in, in uh, June, and then they kind of as soon as this group finishes the modules, uh, the next group will start certain. Uh, uh, they, they'll start their, like, let's say, image collection. So, so any given time, we probably have uh, six to 12 people training at the same time, depending on how big the cohorts are and how many new hires we have. Now, for, for a while, we would have maybe 12 people going at the same time uh, because, you know, in the in initial stages when nobody is uh, good at POCUS or no POCUS, as you can imagine, we had to try to get a lot of people training at the same time. But now we finally uh, spaced it out where it's not so overwhelming for the faculty members also.
0: So this is just for the ICU APPs. Is yeah, it used at all great. for outside the Department of Critical Care?
1: No. So our program, um, it... it we have what's the, the critical care center, which includes the intensive care unit, which includes uh, PACU and S, uh, step down unit. So primarily this program was developed um, for the ICU folks, right? But now we have a uh, PACU and SDU people. Um, they, they, we have a couple of people from uh, those departments kind of interested in, in, in this uh, program. And then we kind of had to tailor what, our program a little bit to what they're going to need and what type of patient they're going to see. So they right now, we have uh, one or two people from each unit starting this program. Now, there are certain aspects of it that's exactly the same, like the modules and then the classes are the same. Uh, what we had to kind of adapt to what they would see is what kind of images are they going to focus on. Right. So, there's, you know, certain pathogen patients, they're simply not going to see a lot of DBTs, you know, right away. Right. So, so we might have to ask them to to do a little bit less vascular studies and focus a little bit more on cardiac. So, we try to change it up a little bit based on what we think they were going to see.
0: So, what about the physicians?
1: So, the physicians, they go through their own, um, Program. This is purely for apps because the uh, for the critical care fellows, they have to have their own training uh, to satisfy the ACGME rules, right? They have to have. Uh, we we have a uh, we have a couple of attendings who are focused on um, training them doing workshops with them and, and going through the curriculum with them. And then uh, they don't have, as far as I know, for physicians, um, they don't actually have uh, any like. Uh, collection of images, like the way APPs do, uh, I think they just, the program director have to sign off on their uh, program and saying that they completed a curriculum and was training ultrasound. As far as I know, I think that's for physicians, that's what they have to complete to, in order to be credentialed in the next place as attendings.
0: Okay. And then, so when someone gets through this training process, you put a stamp on them saying that they're credentialed to use point of care ultrasound?
1: Yes. So uh, when they finish their program within our department, uh, they get hospital privilege. They get hospital uh, credentialing for for point of care ultrasound. And so on your privileges
0: to... list, along with like central lines and suturing Correct. or whatever, it says Correct. Point of, diagnostic point of care ultrasound.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they complete point of care ultrasound and they're able to independently perform and interpret uh point of care ultrasound. Uh, as a diagnostic tool. Uh, Now, obviously, this is just institutional, right? So it's a but the good thing about our program is that we actually have a documentation of everything that we completed. So you're able to see what curriculum they went through, what how many images they did, uh, and then um, what kind of classes they went through, what topic they went through. So if they want to, you know, they've, if they go to a different institution, they can still take that, that sheet of training, and um, if the institution is very, very uh, keen on seeing exactly what type of training they have in order to privilege them or credential them, they could take that sheet and, and provide proof of what type of training they go through.
0: And does the credentialing, it's just for point of care ultrasound in general, or does it specify particular applications?
1: Uh, just critical care ultrasound. It, it, it doesn't, uh, it shows them what what organ, what, type, what what kind of exams they learn to perform, and I guess it will be up to the institution that they go to, and how, how detailed they want to get into, like, you know, what they want to prove them for. If they want to say, uh, are you privileged to do um, uh, uh, gallbladder, scans uh then they would look at our sheet and said you'd never learn anything about that so then you know but but i'm sure there are a lot of institutions who that that would not get that detail that they won't get that granular in terms of credentialing
0: oh, right. but even for your uses like the privileging just says ultrasound and it's up to people to know what they're trained to do
1: right you could you could um on the privileging when they look up the hospital system and see what they're privileged for they're just important to ultrasound it won't go into what specific exam training in, mm. they, they went through
0: So what do you do if you hire someone who does have other training and experience? Do you make them go through the same process or will you recognize their existing training or...
1: So interestingly enough, we actually haven't come across a lot of people, you know, we come across plenty of uh, APPs, especially experienced ones, you know, we have several PAs from other institutions, uh, from like neurocritical care units, where they actually know a lot about cardiac ultrasound, you know, even like uh, cardiac ultrasound and other uh, vascular imaging, but um, nobody could produce anything really concrete on what type of training they go through. A lot of it is just, hey, I, I took a course, you know, through a third party uh, society uh, course or, you know, I learned from this one attending uh, who taught me how to do this, you know, how to look at the IPC in this. Nobody really presented us with any sheet that would say, like, this paper attests to their competency in, 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 in Focus. Um And they, so as a result, everybody have to go through the same program. Uh, you definitely see some uh app's go through the program with much more uh uh, confidence because they know how to do a lot of images and when they collect images towards the end it's it's much faster for them to complete certain portfolios because they know how to get the images better than others and it's great because then they could actually you know provide a little bit more resource for the other uh people in their cohort but but um we have not gone. We haven't gotten any uh, app so far who come in with like vast amount of knowledge in, in, in Pocus.
0: Like, have you thought about an option to like test out of the process or something? I would imagine I'd be a little annoyed if I came to work there and you're like, "Well, you can't use ultrasound for a year until you go through this this like slog."
1: <laughs> yeah. So I we it's it's funny because uh, it's um, we we like you said uh, like I said before we 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 haven't gotten that yet but we certainly have people who are a little bit more annoyed because they they, ju- they just know how to do certain things you know a lot more and for us it's it's about you know, the standard process you know the standardization which i think is lacking in, in focus for uh apps in in general unfortunately um and that's why we we haven't had many people i, I suspect come in with a sheet that says this is what i was training. This is what I know how to do. Um, and for us, the standardization was a big thing because we want to be able to provide that. We, we want our you know uh, uh, staff members, if they were to leave us, they have something that to say that. Look, this is everything I, I trained in. And in fact, that was a big sticking point when, when I was the f- uh, when I first started training at, at long in Pocus because I had a one attending who said, "It's okay. I'll, I'll just teach you, and then you know I'll, I'll just say that you're." you're, you're competent and focused, And I I, I thought, you know, that's great, but if I leave you or if you were to leave, who is there to say that I'm able to do anything? Right. So, so, so for me, it was very important to have a piece of paper that document what type of training I went through, how many hours, what type of modules, uh, uh, what exams I was taught, you know, so, so, um, and going forth, uh, we wanted to have the same process and same documentation for, um, all of our members and also you know for uh, unfortunately for legal reasons right so if something goes wrong or you know i know the first thing they'll ask is like what type of training did you have you guys have all these apps going around doing these imaging and then making decisions and you know w- there was no attending like nobody looked at it you're doing this by yourself you know believe it or not before this program became so formalized um th- these are the questions that we get routinely from other uh, services um, and other members of the clinical staff. They're like, what, like, who says you know how to do this? Like, what are we going to do with these images? You know, we don't, we don't believe you.
0: Did it come up at all? For I know the like an in intensivist, for instance. By and large, these days, ultrasound is part of their training programs. But maybe some of the the older ones who trained some time ago weren't necessarily trained in ultrasound. Did you have to figure out a way of credentialing them, or
1: so we? Um, not not for the attendings. They they kind of go through the same process. We we kind of don't get into the uh, uh, the physician credentialing process so much. We we kind of focus purely on the app uh, credentialing uh, portion. And then, um, as far as I know, the app credentialing and uh, physician credential is still a little bit different. Uh, I don't know how it is in uh, every institution, but our institution is uh, definitely a separate process. Uh, I would say uh, the APP, at least for POCUS, credentialing process seems to be more... Uh, thorough even because we have to present a lot more documentations and then uh, the, the um, we have this thing called FPPE that has to be renewed every six months. you know I, I, as far as I know physicians don't go through the same credentialing process I think I think theirs probably go through yearly so, uh, every two or three years um, but but yeah they, they go by a completely different uh, process than we do
0: So when you guys are doing studies now, let's say you finish your training program you're privileged to use ultrasound and someone does a clinical study on a patient, are they routinely saving those images to some kind of system?
1: Uh, Yes. So we actually have two different systems. Uh, One is for internal training purposes. So for all those uh, trainees who are going around saving images for their their portfolio, we have a a separate system uh, called Viewpoint. Uh, I believe it's through GE. And then when they save it, they upload images to this system that does not go into the patient's chart. And then they could uh, save these images in a secure uh, um, storage uh, facility, or not facility, storage cloud or whatever you want to call it, virtual facility. And uh, these images are are reviewed for their uh, training purposes and then for their credentialing. Uh, But then when they want to actually save the images to go into patient's chart. So what they do, the process is they first go into the patient's EMR uh, record, enter an order, and then that order creates this extension number. Essentially, it links it, uh, it, creates that file on the ultrasound machine. Then you go to the ultrasound machine, access that file, and then it opens up the um, the scanning page, and then everything that you save will now go to that patient's chart. And then that number, once the the person completes the exam, the number will link um, that image with that patient's chart. So later on, if we want to do QA, if we want to go into the patient's chart and look for the uh, images that that, that was uh, collected, uh, we could actually find that on the EMAR system. And then uh, it's great because then if we have to call consoles, if we have to call cardiology or other the services that want to see what we saw, uh, what we're calling them about, they could just go into the EMAR and go into patient's chart and access it anywhere and then and is able to see the images.
0: Yeah, it just shows up at the same place as you'd find an x-ray or a CT scan.
1: Yeah, exactly. More or less, you know, it's not PAX, but it's it's a different system. But it's the same idea.
0: Yeah, that's how um, it's been places that I've been. So if that's for someone who is fully trained and privileged, if it's for training purposes, it goes into a separate system. Is it the same sort yeah. of workflow? It just comes off the machine, but it goes into a different cloud?
1: Yeah, you literally click on a different destination when you're when you're saving. Uh, now, the if you're if a person is training and is actually scanning the patient, and they find something interesting or find a pathology that they really want to, you know, uh, save, uh, they could just review the images with a somebody who is already poker certified uh, or an attending, and then say, "This is what I think I see. You agree." okay, I'm going to save it to the patient's chart. And then you, uh, when you're documenting, you could say that uh, there's actually an option to say this image was reviewed with so-and-so and now it's part of the patient's chart and we are making clinical decisions based off of that image.
0: Okay. So you, you ask people to basically save and upload every ultrasound study that's done, whether for training purposes to the training system or for clinical purposes to the, the main chart. But you don't yes. really want people just scanning and then not doing anything with it?
1: Yeah, you know, so I think the, uh, especially during the uh, the training process when people are just collecting images to practice, uh, there's actually a big fear of uploading or saving images that's like a little bit subpar. I always tell them, you know, sometimes you know, just save it. Save it, you know, it might be better than you think. And also, I, I, I tell them that. Um, focus images are. Uh, then you're not going to get focus, uh, You're not going to get perfect ones. No, you, you get what we can see. And then honestly, even in the imperfect images, uh, you could get a lot of information from it. You can learn a lot about these uh, patients based on even your imperfect image. So save it. We'll go over it later. See what we can get off of it. Um, and don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to show off uh, the images that you think are not perfect.
0: Okay, so did the study upload it to one system or the other? Well, okay, so I guess not for training purposes, but uh, if it was a clinical study, mm-hmm. um, does the person then document it in some way?
1: Yes. So in the same patient's uh, uh, EMAR, in, the, in their chart, uh, you actually enter uh, a note, a POCUS note, that uh, it's a pre um, um, it, it's a drop down it, it's a note with drop down menus and then when you click on certain things uh, it will it will kind of create that sentence using certain verbiage that, that you know we we want people to use so it you know you won't say, it won't say that patient has ef of 30% because that's not part of POCUS. it was you get to select the LV function that appears hyperdynamic normal moderately dysfunctional severely dysfunctional Right, so the, so that everybody can use the same languages, um, and but we do have the option of free text. So if you're a little bit more advanced, you, you you know how to do certain measurements, whatever. You always have the option of writing additional information in the in the free text portion of our ebar.
0: Okay, so is it you have multiple templates like that for different types of studies, or
1: correct? Correct. We have one for cardiac, we have one for lung, we have one for uh, abdomen, renal, and vascular.
0: And then if someone did a training study, they don't put anything in the chart.
1: Correct. They don't put anything in the chart. It, 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 the, the training images never actually, uh, apart from the fact that you're scanning the patient, it never goes near the patient's chart. Okay.
0: So they they get uploaded and um, the training studies, you said, get reviewed by someone. Who is that? Is that you? or?
1: So in the beginning, uh, when I was, uh, me and this, this attending were the only faculty members for the program. It was just... Uh, me and that attending, uh, as you can imagine, we we collectively reviewed uh, 105 images for 12 trainees, so it, it was a lot. It was great practice. It was great practice because you got to see so many different images, but now uh, we actually have uh, many more faculty members at least reviewing images, uh, the people who got through the program and expressed interest and show uh, really... Um, Uh, some talent in teaching Pocus, they actually are asked to review images. And then this is one way, because honestly, if you go through a program, you see, let's say 50, 100 Pocus images you know, for most people, that would be a lot. But but now as you're collecting or as you're reviewing images, you actually look at more and more images and then you actually do build up like kind of a uh, memory bank of various pathologies and various uh, images. So, you know, it's it's a good practice for all the uh, these faculty members as well.
0: Are you the people who are faculty for this program? Are, are you giving them some kind of time to do this work or is this just stuff they're finding a minute for when they're on shift or it's just the goodness of their heart?
1: So initially it was a lot of bribing and uh, like offering like lunch buying and, and, and things like that you know they were doing it essentially for the kindness of their heart and then you know for for people who are uh, very ambitious and, and want to uh, teach uh, who are just interested they, they 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 would do that you know but now uh, they actually uh, we our institution actually have a clinical ladder program for the apPs and then uh, part of that ladder program uh, to get to promoted to the next level or you know uh is mentoring and teaching and uh, of other apPs so so this is something that they could use and you know, the fact that they review certain amount of images is something that they could use uh, uh to get promoted so I, I think it's great because ever since that latter program came out uh, I think it went live I want to say earlier this year um people all of a sudden are a lot more willing to 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 you know give us their time to review images to mentor and to, to show other people how to uh um, uh, get focus images
0: so still bribery but uh systematic yeah
1: but from, 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 an, I was say, from an institution it's an institutional bribery right. that's much much less costly on our you know individual pockets
0: okay so what about uh clinical studies they get uploaded does somebody review those routinely or is just if someone has a, like has an actual question about the patient
1: it's is if somebody is uh, has a question about that, or or if we have to get, uh, for example, uh, for our pericardial tamponade uh, process, um, we have to involve a cardiologist to review uh, our images. So so we usually upload the image once we get a a uh, somebody who we suspect with pericardial fusion or tamponade. Uh, it's a part of our, our workflow to to get a cardiologist involved and who will overread our images. But really, that's the more or less the only one you know you always have the option even if you're focused certified and you could independently uh, perform and interpret images uh, it's never a bad idea if you have a question or if you're not sure to run it by somebody you know we always have an attending who could look at it or another experienced focused um, uh, clinician or provider we can also look at it
0: so there's no was nobody routinely looking at any or any portion of these um just for like qi purposes
1: so we do have a QI process. So you have to uh, perform certain amount of images per year to maintain that uh, uh, privileging, and then those images, the ten images that you uh, you actually have to put. Uh, patient's EMR number uh, into a sheet, and then at the end of the year, uh, one of the faculty members, right now it's mostly me, I would actually have to go through those images and look at the images, look at the patient's chart, um, uh, see what your documentation was, and have to see that you did more or less the correct uh, interpretation. Okay.
0: So you kind of manually go and look at some... Yeah.
1: Some yeah, not, but not not real time, not every single time. Right.
0: Well, so for the the training ones, when you're looking at people's like learning studies, what are you? I mean, what are you looking at, and what do you do? I mean, are you like communicating with them about things mm-hmm. you saw? Is there some formalized way you do it? Or
1: so that uh, I know some institutions, I, I, I want to say like one or two institutions off the top of my mind, they have a, a QI uh, a committee. So they actually have a panel of people who will look at, you know, devote a certain amount of time per week and you look at the trainees' videos. Uh, I know, I know certain, uh, a lot of ERs probably do this. They look through all the images together and then uh, they have a more formalized way of making, uh, giving like recommendations, giving advice on how to get better images. Right now, uh, for us, it's still a little bit of a, uh, you know reviewer dependent uh some people will say that this ha- images have to be you know uh some people will say this image is off access some other person will say no that looks okay so we don't have any type of uniform um uh process right now when they're reviewing the training images that's something that we do want to work on a little bit later you know as we have more people uh, uh volunteering to be reviewers and then uh everybody maybe get some more institutional bribing, we could form a committee to actually look through these images uh, during the training stage. But well, right so now, if you're like
0: this one's like, off axis, what do you do? Do you like you like text the guy and say, hey, this was off axis?
1: Yeah. So that's that's essentially what we do. Not 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 texting, but in the review system when they when they uh look at the images, there is a column where you could say or, or put in your recommendations i i would say for example i, I would look at somebody's image i'll say um too much depth uh not enough near gain, uh off axis. uh you don't need to see that much apex you know that's just an example uh and then next time you work with the person or you know you, you could just show them how maybe this is what you meant right
0: and it's just it's technical review of the images there's no review of their interpretation because they they didn't document an
1: interpretation no no it's purely technical it's purely excuse me it's purely technical um aspect of the image collection
0: do you feel like that that leaves something on the table then because that's like a whole aspect of pocus that you're not really addressing right i mean it could be a beautiful image and they they totally misunderstood what it showed
1: yeah yeah no I, i that's a Uh, a very fair point. So uh, ideally, we'll have some way of doing real-time clinical review. And I think the problem is just that um, it's it's very hard to match up that time with faculty. You know, we don't have anybody who is on 24 seven, you know, I know for ER, they, they have ultrasound fellowships and then these ultrasound fellows, their, their job is they have no patient care, right? They don't they don't actually see any patients. Their, their job is to just scan all day, review images all day, provide feedback all day. So we, we unfortunately don't have anybody like that. Um, so, so we have to do a kind of a, like a not asynchronous review. Um, which is not perfect, but what we do have is that during the testing portion, the knowledge testing, you know, the written portion, uh, so to speak, does test a lot of clinical integration. So, so we we have the clinical vignette. Um, it's not a simple. Or we do have one or two questions like what what structure is this? You know, what is it near gain? So we have these type of questions, but more the test is questions that has a clinical scenario with a patient background with presenting symptoms. And then we show them a image of what you got, you know, uh, and uh, what would you do about it? Instead of saying, what do you see? We say, what do you do about this?
0: What's happening with billing? Are people when they're trained, they're uploading and documenting these things. Are they billing for it in some way, or is somebody billing for it?
1: Yeah, so we actually have, uh, so we, we do bill for it. We do build for it. I, I will say that uh, we have these clinical informatic specialists who did a lot of the like the legwork for us. So you know, I I, I don't want to go into too technical stuff. I, I don't want to get it wrong, and they'll tell me like that's not what we did, right? <laughs> but um, but they uh, as far as my understanding of it, they they had to go through and, and, and do these CPT codes, and that's not radiology specific. They have to modify existing codes to make it pocus specific. And then, uh, because the documentation, uh, the billing needs a couple of things. It needs the actual patient. It needs to have an order, the indication, and then what you did for it. And then you have to have the images that go along with that note, uh, for uh documentation and billing purposes. Uh, and then that all, all of those aspects were satisfied. So that's why everything that we talked about in terms of workflow, creating an order for it, uh, having an extension number for it, the connection between the EMR, the patient's chart, and then that 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 image that you, you performed, that link, all of that is very important for billing. Uh, but I know that our uh, billing department and uh, the informatics system, uh, informatic department, did have to go do a lot of work with in terms of like the code and all that stuff. But every single focus note that we write. Uh, after we perform an image does get built
0: wow it's a big system um, I mean what were the the bigger challenges that you encountered as you put all this together which I'm sure must have taken years
1: uh, yeah uh, it took uh, I think we first started the training program in 2016 and then that we we primarily focused on the the training aspect that we want to train the APP make sure they're able to do these things um, and then the infrastructure had to come a little bit at a time uh, afterwards you know they will create a building you know the, the the building code took a while the the building of uh the IT system getting a dedicated Wi-Fi system even that you know that took a little bit of time so so that took uh what from 2016 2017 to now uh was with, with more or less uh perfected without going off uh, without having errors all the time. That's, what, seven years, I want to say. So so it definitely took a long time. Uh, the biggest problems are, or some of the things, the things that we kind of anticipated having are the faculty issues, right? A lot of presenters right to lack of qualified faculty members. And then uh, once we had that, uh, some of the things that, that we really didn't realize, uh, were going to be issues at the time were, were, the IT stuff. A lot of it was just IT stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, we thought we could just go and, you know, our institution is fairly financially secure. So we were able to get all these machines. And I know a lot of institutions don't even have like machines. They have one machine for the unit. If you take it for training, that's it, right? You don't have anything else. So we actually have, uh, any, any given time, four machines in the unit. So, so we don't have to worry about like taking a couple for, for training purposes. One is broken, being fixed, and we have nothing left to the unit for patient care. So we have uh, a lot of machines, uh, but that you know, securing the funding to get all those machines uh, was uh, took a little bit uh, support and took a, a lot of uh, negotiation with like the institution. So, so we, we got the machines for it, and then once we have the machines, uh, setting up the IT system, uh, the the bio uh, bio Medical department, informatics, all those places, you know that they they ran into a lot of issues um, later on <laughs> that, that we didn't realize was an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, Wi-Fi capacity. I I, I never even knew that was an issue, but um, once we started sending a lot of images, uh, we ran into issue of like, wait, none of these images are going through to the cloud. What's going on? Then we found out that you know we were overloading the Wi-Fi that that, that we had, so we had to get you know dedicated Wi-Fi. Uh, system for our unit, <laughs> so so that when we send all these images, uh, it it doesn't like overburden the system, right? So so all these technical things that we didn't think we we're going to run into, and then um, so that took a little bit of time, and then another thing that came up the last couple of years was um, just people leaving, so that was a big issue. So we had let's say fifty uh, percent or sixty uh, percent of people who are trained. So now we don't have that many more people to train, right? That you know, That's not a big issue. But uh, during COVID, I think um, uh, around the time of like from 2020 to 2022-ish, we had about 41% of the people who are already certified in Pocus all leave to go to different departments, uh, like go to different institutions, uh, quit healthcare, like Totally, you know, I, you know, we're not alone in that, but but uh, that that's all of a sudden we went from let's say ninety percent people certified to ten percent certified. You know, so now we have to kind of ramp up training and take time away from clinical care, um, and, and you know that 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 was a lot. I would say in the last couple of years, once the IT system, once the billing system, once the notes were created, you know, we thought we were good, and then COVID hit, and then then and that that you know the, the staff attrition became a big problem for us.
0: Was it hard to get institutional buy-in to do a lot of this because especially early on when it's just a matter of spending money and finding resources and I, I mean, I guess you' you're billing for it now, so I guess there's some return, but I'm sure early
1: on there wasn't. Yeah, so I think uh, the we I, we I was lucky that um, my boss at the time uh, she was a real visionary for Pocus. you know she she knew that this is something that APPs will need at some point. Uh, so, so she actually convinced uh, the institution um, leadership to spend resources on, on me getting me trained, and then dedicating time uh, for like time off for all these members going through training process, and then um, our leadership really. Uh, saw that once the first cohort tra- was trained, they're like, okay, well, this is actually going to make a difference. So this is actually going to be um, useful and you know improve patient care. So then they actually got us more money and more funding, uh, dedicated time off to do these reviews. So that that took a lot of institutional support. Uh, I again, not every institution is going to be able to do this. I, I was lucky because I had um, leadership that told me like when we were looking at machines. no get uh i was actually told that that listen just just tell me which machine you think is good it's fitting for the department like let me worry about the money i'll deal with the money which i heard that i was like great that's what i wanted to hear because i i don't want to deal with the money side of it so so yeah i not everybody's able to do that so i we were pretty lucky you know as an institution and as a department to have that
0: and so the the workflows you talked about like for you know, saving and uploading images to the radiology system, um, documentation, and so on, is that something that the your attendings are also making use of? Or are there departments, like the emergency department, which usually is doing a lot of ultrasound, or are they all doing different things?
1: So the image uploading and the, no, um, the notes uh, are used by everybody right now more than just APP, the fellow use it, the, uh, the residents use it, and the attending use it. Um, I would say uh, some people don't upload images as diligently as others, but but I would say like 80, 90% of the time, you know, everything is compliant. So, because especially when billing is involved, you have to have these uh, key elements for billing you have to have like the notes you have to have the order you have to have the images and then uh you have to have documentation and billing for uh, you know the time documented uh, and and things like that so otherwise you know i'm sure we all get a call and email from billing saying like there's nothing there
0: well it's it's an impressive system you know everywhere that i've been um is much less developed a lot of places were not even you know didn't even have systems to allow uploading um now the last couple of places i've worked do at least have some which may or may not be reliable. Um, not necessarily a, a policy or even a culture of routinely documenting studies. I mean, maybe informally, like mentioning something you found in a progress note or something, but you know, not like you see a patient, you do a study, you do a note with some st- standardized way. I've been trying to do that just cause it seems like a good practice, but, um, and training by and large has been informal. And although there's been talk on and off, um, not really any formal process for credentialing. Well, how are things for you guys, Brian? Where are you fall on this spectrum? I feel like uh, Leon's kind of a, a ten. I, like, I, I can't imagine anyone that's got much more of a developed system than this. Uh, probably other places are equal. Uh, and then I guess a zero would be like nothing. Where are you guys? For sure, yeah,
2: we're not there. Um, <laughs> uh, I will. I will say we talked earlier. Um, about some folks in Cincinnati um, that are doing some really good stuff like this too. But, and I, when I talked to the, I talked to them about a year or two ago, I guess about all this. And um, yeah, we're, we're nowhere near that. We don't have any kind of formal credentialing process. You can just go pick up an ultrasound and go scan people. Um, I mean, there's nobody to say that, you know what you're doing other than, you know, hopefully you know your limitations um, you know as apPs we're we're not totally independent right we work with a with an attending so you know I don't know that there's a formal thing in place uh, I certainly you know when I was first learning would run everything by an atten- you know like okay come look at this this is what I think am I right here um, you know I, I will still do that a lot of times before I take major action, right? If I go ultrasound somebody and I'm going to be like completely change the course, of the plan of care based on what I've found, I'll run that by my attending and say, this is what, I've, and nine times out of 10, they don't even necessarily come look at the images. They'll go, yeah, no, it sounds right. You know, you've done enough of these, you know what you're doing. Um, wh- one thing I think we've found at our place is we have a lot of self-selection for this, right? A lot of people, they just go, I, I don't know what I'm doing, so I'm not even going to pick up the probe. Um, and so we, we found we don't have a lot of people who are going to be out there doing images and making decisions that have to have oversight because they, everybody kind of realizes their own limitations. There's a big demand right now for this. I'm on a hospital-wide education committee looking at providing some sort of uniform ultrasound training for all our APPs because there's a huge demand for it. But um, I think right now that's, that's sort of where we are with limitations and stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the implications with the having the process is also that it's an expectation, right? It's not like if you are into ultrasound, then you do it, but if not, then you don't. You, uh, Leon, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but if you hire a new PA or NP or something a year from now, they they they're doing this, right? It's not opt
1: out. <laughs> no, no, that's. Uh... Uh, in the beginning, we prioritized the people who self-selected, right? Because we thought that those people will probably go through the program the fastest. Uh, th- those people will go through the program um, uh, without a hitch, and uh, that's we wa- that's what we needed. We needed we needed the program to succeed, so we will pick the people who we think will you know s- support the program and, and, and champion the program. So that right now uh, we got into the stage where it's a requirement. It's a it's a job requirement. So so during the interview process, and I'm part of the interview. Uh, uh when we interview people, the new APP or prospective APPs, uh, we will tell them that one aspect of the training program, uh, once you get off orientation, once you get your feet wet, once you're a bit more comfortable, you will go through this extensive program and we'll tell you ahead of time. But we made it um, easy enough for you to access You know the modules you could do at home. Uh, you do get some time off uh, to look at the, uh, the lectures um, and, and you will... Um, uh but you will have to put in the work because it is a job requirement and this is part of every um modern critical care provider's repertoire, so to speak.
2: Yeah. Well that was gonna be my next question is if you got pushback from people because I've had you know, like I said, we're we're looking at this coming up with a way to do it housewide. And because we have a lot of people who are like, I wanna learn this, I don't know how to do it. But I've had a lot of people who say, Listen, I'm not gonna learn that. Um you know, I've been I've been an NP for 20 years um, and I've been doing just fine um, you know what do you do with uh, I mean you're you're new hires like right? you say it's an expectation what do you do with your experienced people who say like hey listen I've been doing this for 20 years and I don't I'm too old to learn a new trick
1: so uh a lot of uh, um, uh, so so it, it's you, you could cop and back up right I am never the backup I always say the you know what I I have no Power over anybody. I I am just gonna strongly convince you. Look, this is you're gonna need this. This is gonna be good for you. You're gonna need this, and for for patient care, it's good for the patient. Uh, and then I, sometimes I say, look, these people who are newer providers, the junior providers, they're gonna know how to do this more than you. So so sometimes if you bring out the competitive nature, you know, go with them into doing it. But ultimately, uh, we we have uh, management and leadership that will say, sit down with them, and say, look, this is your job expectation. You have to do this you know, this is going to go into evaluation and
2: stuff like that. I imagine billing is an incentive too. So we don't currently have a system in place to bill our IT people. I talked to them uh, six months ago or so, and they're working on it really hard uh, to get it in place. Um, But currently we don't. So I go out and do a study. It's just, like you said, it's in my mind, it's what's right for the patient and helps me make a decision, but that's the end of it. Uh, I imagine, especially if you're in a place where your pay is either tied to your billing or there's some sort of like bonus structure or incentive for, you know, you're not meeting certain targets, et cetera. Then if you can bill for this study, that becomes a huge incentive to say, okay, well i survived 20 years without it, but maybe I should learn it now.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, different people obviously will have different motivations. And then we, uh, luckily, we, we didn't have too many people. We had, I'm not going to say we had none, but we definitely had those people who were, like you said, like, why am I going to learn this when I've been very good at my job for X amount of years, right? So, so um, you know, honestly, we, we sometimes have to point out to them that's not always the case, right? You know, we, we have plenty of people who say they're very good at certain things without ultrasound, but really, when you show the data behind it, are you, are you actually, you, though, right? yeah. Are you actually, right? Yeah yeah was that patient actually septic you know like or did they have a massive tamponade right so so those, those are things that we have a conversation about but at the end of the day if you know these type of talks that uh, didn't work, uh, we, we do need like somebody just to sit down with them like, look, this is part of your evaluation, this is part of your job requirement, you're just going to have to do this, right? And then we provide them as much support as possible, you know, if they need a little bit extra time to to look at the, uh, get, collect some of the images, if they need more personalized attention from a, a uh, faculty uh, slash mentor, we will provide that. We'll pair them somebody uh, with somebody who will have extra time to, to show them images, uh, literally put your hand on their hand and show them how to collect these images, right? That, that's totally fine. We'll work with you. You know, if you need a day off for a lecture, I, I, I've spent plenty of time just doing one-on-one because somebody can't make a group lecture or something like that. We, we will make it happen. But yeah. but the the bottom line is you will have to do it. Like, I, you know, it might take a little bit longer, but you, you, you have to do it. This is part of critical care now. Yeah.
2: Well, I think POCUS is an interesting case I guess in that depending on how you look at it 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 can be just part of the physical exam right like a lot of times that's how we think of it it's it's the stethoscope of the 21st century but I have students like NP students who will sort of you know their eyes glaze over in POCUS lectures and they'll yeah they'll go through the motions but they're clearly not interested in it which I think is interesting because you you couldn't get away with that by saying like listen I'm going to understand in learning how to use a stethoscope. Um, I'll just figure it out, right? Well, plenty of people are not, but we make them. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, sure. But then, but there's, there's, uh, we treat it as differently though. Like, you know, in that I don't have to be credentialed to use a stethoscope. That's taken for granted that I know how to do that. Um, yeah. Do you think we're getting to a point, is there a day coming and if so, in in our lifetimes or our careers, where this will just be considered part and parcel of your training,
1: um, I, I think so. I, I like I, because if you look at the trend of like medical school, I've, I forgot the exact number. I think it's somewhere around like sixty percent of medical school students are exposed to some type of. Portable ultrasound curriculum or some type of training, right? I, I know some of the New York City med schools, the, uh, the California med schools, they they the med students doing their internal medicine rotation or clerkship, uh, they are provided with like the portable ultrasound, the the, the pocket scanners, and then you know, so so for them to perform physical exam, uh, certain med school require that their students know how to perform certain images by the time they graduate, right? But if you look at uh, residency and fellowship, apart from critical care, which requires uh, focus learning. uh, The other residency or specialty is EM, right? Emergency medicine, they, they require the residents to complete a certain amount of images by the time they finish residency so uh, I, I I don't think many PA programs do that and I know for sure MP programs are not all doing that even though the the recommendation from uh, credentialing agencies and educational societies for uh, edu- educational uh, um, uh, uh, I guess uh, organizations for MP schools they, they will say that uh, acute care MPs should be like proficient in diagnostic procedures, diagnostic uh, uh, tools like ultrasound and things like that. But uh, the language is just not clear. But um, I think it's important to actually expose students in school, uh, in, in, you know, whether it's grad program or med school, right? Because at some point, that places pressure on um, practicing clinicians, even not profession in these tools the new tools you're gonna to see best students come in and, and do things that you have no idea how they do and you know you, you you're you kind of are pushed to kind of keep up with the times right so so um I, I'm hoping that MP schools and pa schools uh will, will kind of catch on to that wave you don't want to be left behind on that so so um they're gonna to have to be more and more uh pushed from educational, uh, organizations, regulatory societies, professional societies to make that push, right? To kind of, um, it, it, at some point, hopefully we'll get to that point where um, the organizations say every single MP school to be credentialed for acute care programs, you have to do these. you have some type of curriculum, right? Like, you know, we always joke that nobody will do it until you make them do it. Like, I'm hoping it won't get to that point, or I don't know when that's going to be the point, but I, I'm hoping that at some point that the... Um, these organizations will have to say that, look, you want to be credentialed, you want to continue to stay in business, your acute care program have to have these uh, uh, training, at least some curriculum, you know, to to provide patients, students with the focus learning. So then um, with that, it won't be like less, like it it, it won't be like foreign to students. So, and then they know that this is going to be expectation. So they will seek out any type of training opportunities.
0: Well, look, I mean, I, like I said, I think your program there is one of the more developed ones. So I think a lot of people listening are going to say we're not we're not doing a lot of these things. I, I'm just kind of using ultrasound. I was trained on it informally, maybe, um, but but I am, I think, competent, and it is useful to me. The way that we're doing it, what's the benefit from adding on all the rest of this um, formalization to the process? I could see a lot of people saying, well, it's it's useful to be able to save and upload images. I could show them to other people, you know, maybe when I choose to, not necessarily requiring maybe to. But most of the rest of this uh, is not much benefit to me. I could see the benefit to the institution, medical legally, the ability to bill, standardizing training, and so on. But it for me, it's just it's just more headache because it doesn't I'm already using the tool. Um, i I don't really want or need more. Oversight or standardization or requirements for how I go about it. Um, what would you say to that? I mean, do you think that's true? I mean, it might just be the case that it's good for the institution and not necessarily for the individuals. But
1: I, I think at the end of the day, we can't make people do what they don't want to do, right? Because that—that's that unless the institution mandates it, right? So, so each institution will have to decide how much of. Uh, mandate they're going to do you're always going to have people who are like more adaptive like they they, they welcome these type of changes they welcome these new technology they welcome these new tools Uh, you're going to have that Um, and uh, for those people I think as much standardization as much documentation as needed is is, is good Um, but we, we also have to accept the fact that some institution would never do something like this. You know, our program, like I, uh, I, I said many times, we, we, we're we very fortunate we have the resources to, to do something elaborate like this, you know, something very, very uh, uh structured right so it took time it took dedication it took funding it took resources right but if you look at SECM and other professional society recommendations for ultrasound they they take into account that not every institution is going to be able to afford certain things like this you know, not every institution is going to have the infrastructure um for something like this so so they they will tell you that do what you can with it Right. They, they, tell you, they tell you, do what you can. As, you know, hopefully you have uh, some type of learning curriculum. Some, uh, you have certain type of uh, somewhere where you can store the device, you know, so, uh, somewhere where you can store the images and some way to recall that uh, images or the, or the finding that you had for patient care. Right, so so it, there is a lot of variability. There is a lot of flexibility uh, with the recommendation. Is uh, I think our institution's um, process is a template, and certainly you could take various parts of it and, and you know try to apply it in your institution, right? Uh, but I I don't foresee every single institution be able to enforce or you know institute something like what we have because I, I you know I'm, I'm not like unrealistic you know I I understand what we have and I understand what not every institution is going to be able to do that but um I'm hoping that a lot of institutions will kind of gravitate towards some type of standardization, some type of structure. Um, I just don't see, uh, and we've all done this, you know, I I just don't see taking cell phone videos of a uh, scan and sending over text to a supervising uh, physician or or a different team as the ideal way for patient care, right? So so as long as they have some type of structure, um, you know, it's better than none.
2: Well, and I think, you know, getting back to what you were saying about what's the benefit to me, the individual provider, you know, hearing like what you said when you, when you, Leon, when you said you had an attending who was like, I'll teach you how to do that. Right. I mean, that's sort of how I learned it. And I'm thinking right now, like when I was in school, I was interested in potentially pursuing first assist in the OR. And I had a professor who said, you know, there's two ways you can go about this. One, you go work for a surgeon who will teach you what you need to know. Uh, Don't do that. Go do a formal training course, get certification, because like you said, what do you do when you go work for the surgeon and he teaches you how to do stuff and then he retires or you move to California or whatever and you go, yeah, no, I know what I'm doing. And they go, but how do we know you know what you're doing? Or it turns out you don't know what you're doing because all you know is, you know, a guy taught you one way to do a procedure his, the way he liked to do it. Right. So get formal training. And I feel a little hypocritical when I tell students, yeah, I think you should get formal training and certification. Cause I, I don't have it. Um, but you know, for me at this point, it is a huge headache, right? Cause it's more than just, okay, can I sit down and take a test and show you that I know what I'm doing? No, I got to take a, this big course and I got to do this. I got to travel in, in some cases. Uh, Two places to do hands on stuff. And it becomes a big obstacle uh, for somebody who's experienced.
0: I think that's a natural progression. Like a lot of things go through this where it starts out more informal and then becomes more widespread and formalized. And I think often there's an acceptance of that and you kind of maybe grandfather in people who have been yeah. around. And um, it's kind of just accepting the practicalities of it. But
2: that's what I'm looking for a grandfather procedure <laughs> where I can just. Demonstrate that I know what I'm doing. Grandpa Brian. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, you can see the gray hair in me right now. I'm already feeling <laughs> like a grandpa, but.
0: You know, priorities are obviously always to be safe. Um, and yeah, then, probably I, I think a second or maybe third priority is not to make a process that takes ultrasound away from people needlessly. Because the people are using it and benefiting from it. And even when they're doing it in a somewhat unstructured way, um, I I think they're probably providing better care and it's safer care than if they didn't have it. Um, Now, you know, obviously, if the training and credentialing and all these processes were more formal, then the safety would be a little more consistent or provable or reliable or whatever. But um, I'm always kind of wary about saying, well, everyone really should be doing X, Y, and Z. And if you're not doing this don't do ultrasound because I um I think that's that's not a net win, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, I think you know I, I I agree, you know the uh for our trainees who haven't been formally certified yet, uh, that the fear is also you know a lot of them come in with fears already. They they say I don't know what I'm doing. I don't want to touch an ultrasound probe, well. and we really don't want to perpetuate that by saying well it's a scary thing. Don't touch it until you went through the training process. So they they do have a conditional uh. Um, Credentialing during that process, so so they could use it to learn as long as you have you're with somebody. We just don't want you to do it by yourself without structured teaching and you know uh, mentoring, so to speak. So so I, I think anybody who like we have plenty of people who come on and very very excited to learn. And um we our institution have a critical care fellowship for uh, uh, APPs. Um and honestly, uh, when we have students and uh, prospective uh, trainees come and, and learn about our fellowship, um I get to speak with a lot of them and, and it's a big draw. So a lot of people are, you know, interested in doing focus, a lot of people do want to learn focus training. And uh, some people even said, they, you know, if they didn't get into our, uh, our program, if they didn't uh, get hired slow, some people were willing to pay out of pocket, you know, to, to take the third party certification courses, like, you know, chess or study hospital of medicine, and, you know, it's they're, they're expensive. So so they, they but they're willing to do it because that's just how much they want to learn. So I, I think in terms of recruitment for us for both the fellowship and the uh former ICU unit, uh I, I actually think it's a point of pride for us. And it's it's a drawing point for us. It. It's a you know it's it's a point where we really advertise to prospective trainees and students and, and employees also. So um and I, I, I do think it brings people in.
0: You know, there's always been this tension of is POCUS like we said, more like a physical exam maneuver or more like a special skill, a radiology test, um, and it's kind of gone back and forth on it. We were saying maybe one day it'll be more like a physical exam where the the knowledge of it is so widespread that it doesn't need a lot of special attention into how it's done. But I think it's going to go the other way before it ever gets to that point. You know, this more formalization and standardization of how it's being done is kind of an inevitable uh, trajectory that we're on right now the people that have been doing it in a more grassroots way which is how most of us started um, it's probably not going to last except in much more low resource settings where there just isn't the possibility of more infrastructure it's going to be harder and harder to defend that kind of practice um, so you know I think we're all inevitably going this direction at least in the short to medium term so worth giving some thought to for all of our systems I think but Leon is a great chat we're glad to have you um, we'll uh, put a link to your paper in, uh, in the show notes here, and I hope people will check it out because you go into a lot more detail, I think, on your system there. Uh, maybe we'll talk to you soon.